0: It's yours. It's and yours. It's a fixer-up. You look like a good man. You look like a good yes. fellow. I've been looking all over town for someone who could put the care and concern this house needs into it. <laughs> if you promise me you'll make it look beautiful by the end of the year, it's yours for absolutely nothing. Okay. You know I'll what? Do it The house
1: this. needs and deserves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bring it back to its former glory.
2: (laughs) Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we employ our devious schemes to crown our king in Somnium, the Rise of Laputa. Next, we invite our sponging school chums to live large with us as we spend our inheritance like there's no tomorrow in last will. And lastly, we can seal our secret word alphabetically in Decipher. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel.
3: I'm Evan Bernstein, and a cipher is a coded written message. Ooh.
4: Hi, I'm Ed Poblitis. Ciphers were often developed for war. The Caesar shift and the
1: Enigma machines are great examples. I'm Joe on a cypherpunk is any activist advocating widespread use of strong cryptography and privacy-enhancing technologies as a route to social and political change.
0: Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and in my hood, a cypher is the crowd that gathers to watch a freestyle rap battle.
2: Hey guys, are you psyched for our new post-show episode? These will be patron-only exclusives. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, hoo,
4: hoo. I'm going to dress appropriately. for oh, what's a post-show? Yeah, who blew up the dynamite? We're recording this?
2: Yep, it'll probably sound something like that. And all our listeners can expect a sneak peek episode coming soon.
4: Yay, patrons, we love you. Yeah, patrons, just for you. Wow, Eeyore, just for you. (laughs) Yep, just like that.
2: Our first game up this week is Somnium Rise of Laputa, designed by Ryan Dofik, published by Zafty Games in 2019, number of players 2-4, to ages 13 and up, playing time 15 minutes. When we put this game under the magnifying glass, what were our first thoughts? Mike?
0: Somnium? Is that name trying to put me to sleep? Evan?
3: I can become the ruler of a floating continent in just 15 minutes? Sign me up now.
0: Ed?
4: A new floating continent? How did we miss that? Excuse me, I have to go
1: shock the scientists. Joe? The coins were impressive on both the visual and the tactile levels. Oh, real metal coins in the expansion
2: set. But before we say ching ching, Evan, tell us how it's played.
1: In
3: the game Somnium, Rise of Laputa, you are a monarch competing for political dominance over a newly discovered floating continent. It's a card game where you use your influence through events and characters to attract nobility to your cause while deploying spies, propagandists, and assassins to sabotage your rivals. The first monarch to reach 20 influence becomes the sovereign ruler of Laputa.
4: You play a card, you do what the card says, you draw back up to three cards, next turn. Simple turn structure.
2: It's so simple to keep track of only three cards. And yet I was busy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you're busy plotting your next round. And foiling the plan to your foes. (laughs) There's a couple ways to mess with each other in this game, yeah. I'm all about fast-paced games like this.
2: The score is called Influence, and the coins represent that. I loved that, because you're just collecting your win as you go.
3: There's something really satisfying about grabbing coins as part of your journey to to victory. It's great.
2: Now, the original box comes with cardboard pop-out coins, but the expansion is totally worth it because metal coins, everybody. And they're mm.
1: gorgeous. Clink, clink. It's also great during gameplay not to use your money to spend on things. Then also keep track of victory points. It, it's nice that they're the same, one and the same. The only problem is you may want to use them for your
4: other games. They're so
1: good. But <laughs> that, that could be
4: a problem, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Now, in addition to the victory condition of 20 influence, there is another way to win the game, not mentioned in the very concise set of rules, but unmistakably indicated in the text of two specific cards in the deck. And this is definitely not a mistake. Oh, yeah. The prince and princess.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that that prince and princess combo makes anybody dangerous. When When you get one of them on the table, people panic and have to find a way to get rid of it quick.
2: Because if you have both the prince and the princess played out in front of you,
0: then you win. It's over. Oh, God! Your influence doesn't even matter at that point. All Ooh. right. The yeah. royal marriage.
3: It sounds like the time to <laughs> unleash the assassin if there is one to be had. <laughs> exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple good ways to get rid of it, and the assassin is probably the best one. Yeah, yeah there's a good yeah. one. And also, assassin is a great way to get rid of some people's influence, because a lot of the cards you place in your tableau give you influence. And when they die, the influence they had goes with them. Coins uh, go
0: back to the pot.
4: What? That's, that's a terrible feeling. Oh! Uh-huh. Unless it's your opponent you're doing it to, then it feels good. Just, well, <laughs> yes, of course. Muah.
0: You know you know how much I love negative uh, movement in a game? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but this game moves so fast yeah, that yeah. this negative movement is not really going to slow the game down much.
0: Right. It gives you that frustration, but it's a good like, motivating kind of frustration. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a great feeling for those who can do it, though. So it is actually forward momentum for somebody.
0: I use a strategy where I let my prince go to the junk pile, like the graveyard, and I had the princess in my hand. So when I got another card that fished a card out of there, I could boom, boom, play him back to back. Oh,
3: I love cards that let you dive through the the discard deck.
0: Yeah, the dumpster diver cards. Yep.
2: The art is really neat. It isn't straight medieval art, which they could have gone with, which I think would have been a little dull for this game. Uh, they actually went with more colorful, comic booky anime art.
4: Yeah, it definitely had an anime feel to the fantasy. It was cool.
1: Laputa is a flying island from Gulliver's Travels. Oh, which was mm-hmm. like written in seventeen twenty six by by Jonathan Swift, and most people remember Lilliput, the land of the tiny people, and Brobdignag, the land of the giants, right you know uh, and then there was an island of talking horses that uh, that nobody can pronounce uh, as well, but basically the uh, king of Balnabardi basically uses Laputa, the flying island to enforce his supremacy. The island flies because of some scientific use of magnetic levitation. So it's actually very steampunky. Bef- before steampunk was a thing. I like that. Oh,
4: wow. That's really yeah. cool. Wow. Steampunk from 1726. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I was, gonna, I was actually going to bring up steampunk by looking at the art because I saw that they had like newspaper articles or some of the cards, yeah. but they were wearing like a medieval type armor at the same and time. There's cool. a definitely
4: a blimp in some of those things too. Yeah. So yeah, it had a little steampunk going for it. And the
1: art really captures the very, very specific atmosphere that must have not been that easy to, you know, nail down. Uh, But it really captures the flowery and deadly serious culture of this floating island steampunk monarchy. It
4: is pretty deadly. (laughs) Kind of like most monarchies, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like most battles for the throne. You either win or you don't win.
2: (laughs) Uh, My kids fell completely in love with this game. It has some really great advantages for kids, I thought. One was that you only have to hold three cards. If you think your kids can handle the grim subject matter, I think they'll enjoy it. They really, really enjoyed the taking coins and putting coins back. That really felt like the game was hustling for them.
0: It also has a really quick reset time, too, where when you play the game and lose, it almost automatically rolls into another game. So I'm sure they played multiple games that we did.
2: Oh, yeah. They just play over oh. and over.
4: They picked up the strategy really well. I mean, it wasn't like just playing cards. They knew what to do.
2: And the anime art was very attractive to them.
4: Yeah, we picked up this game from Zafty Games, which we saw at PAX East. Oh yeah. The Zafty guys are awesome.
0: They're they're either the most generous company or they know that the secret to success is like exposure, or maybe both. I don't know. But they yeah. gave us the coins and the game and they were excited to do it.
2: What did you guys think of the title? <laughs> well Somnium <laughs> Colon, The Rise of Laputa. The Rise of Laputa is really good. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. It's a it's based on the Gulliver's Travels, but how many people know that? Is it a, is it a savvy marketing choice?
0: Well, if go if Joe didn't explain it to me, I thought it was kind of silly. But once the, he told us about all that, it's like, oh, that's really well researched and pretty interesting.
2: Okay, so we know about the Laputa piece, but what is Somnium? Sleeping.
3: Somnium was originally a Latin word meaning dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. So is
2: it a dream world?
0: I suppose so. I mean, there's floating castles, so it's definitely not the real world. Right. Really? (laughs)
2: Gulliver's Travels suggests a parody of Cicero's Somnium Sipianus.
3: Oh, that that just clarified everything, didn't it?
2: Well, I'm trying to find where the connection is between Somnium and Laputa.
1: Well, a lot of people know that Johannes Kepler was an astronomer, the first scientific astronomer in fact. This was I guess written around 1611 and Isaac Asimov and Carl Sagan both agreed that it should be considered the first science fiction novel ever.
4: Interesting. That's really cool. Wow. That could very well be. In the narrative, an Icelandic boy and his wish mother learn an island named Lavina, our moon, from a daemon. I'm present a detailed imaginative description of how Earth might look when viewed from the moon. And is considered the first serious scientific treatise on lunar astronomy. I love that.
2: I mean, my kids didn't connect with the name, but Joe was kind enough to explain it to them. <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> I'm sure they were riveted. Which took more than 15 minutes that it took to play the game.
2: <laughs> kids Actually, are quite, quite used to dad's uh, long explanations by now. But they're (laughs) thorough.
3: I mean, they are detailed and thorough.
0: As light as this game is, it's really cool to see that they put that much work and detail into the actual history.
3: And I like that. I applaud that effort.
2: I'm impressed. Okay, Explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Somnium, The Rise of Laputa. Mike?
0: The clean and attractive look, ease of setup, and intuitive gameplay was a win for me, so dig it up. Evan?
3: You had me at 15-minute game. (laughs) but i suppose i need to play before making an official call so i'll withhold for now
4: ed easy to learn and fun to play dig this one up as a light filler game for your collection and joe
1: this game is refreshingly free of the complex rules and background that too often weigh steampunk down that's why this is so much fun dig it up
2: I've already got my play value out of this game as it's become a favorite for my kids. Dig it up. Joe, where can you find it?
1: You can find this at local and online stores for $15 or less.
2: If you have thoughts about Somnium, The Rise of Laputa, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up is Last Will, designed by Vladimir Suchi. Published by Czech Games Edition and Real Grand Games in 2011. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 13 and up. Playtime, 45 to 75 minutes. Okay, when we shined a light on this find, what were our first
0: thoughts? Mike? I have to go broke to win? I wish life was like that. I'd be way ahead of the game. Evan?
3: That sounds like that 1980s movie Brewster's Millions, which wasn't an awful movie. Ed? It can be hard to be
1: wasteful. On purpose. Joe? It's a Regency-era spending spree bordering on the suicidal.
2: I say, old chum, let's take that carriage ride again and order champagne this time. And oh, is that a new haberdashery? Let's get matching chapeaux. But before we add caviar and foie gras to the order, Evan, tell us how it's played.
3: In Last Will, your rich uncle stated that all of his millions will go to the nephew who can enjoy the money the most. You will each be given a large amount of money, and whoever can spend it first will be the rightful heir. Visit the most exclusive theaters or eat in the most expensive restaurants. Buy old properties for the price of new ones and sell them as ruins. Spend to become rich, (laughs) and if you're the first to run through the money on hand, you'll receive the rest of his inheritance. Oh, and win
0: the game.
2: I love how everybody gets their own individual board to manage what we hope is going to be complete spending out of control.
0: Oh, yeah. Like you buy a big house that's a total money pit that you have to throw money in to maintain each turn. A
4: school chum comes over and uh, helpfully spends some money for you.
1: (laughs) I I love the school chum. Uh, He wasn't that much of an apparent leech. But the thing is, he gave you an extra two cards each round, so he was always saying, oh, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. he really worked it.
0: Yeah, I thought the theme and the mechanics matched up really well at that point. Yeah.
3: Realistic in that sense. Yeah.
2: Every <laughs> single card played on the theme beautifully and implemented a mechanic to go with it. It was uh, it was seamless.
4: And what I really like with the, uh, the planning phase, where you have to choose which spot you want to get so you can either get Uh, A certain number of cards, how many errands you get to do, and how many actions you're going to have. And also, when you are going to go in the turn order?
2: I loved how you get to bid and choose how many actions to take all at once.
1: It was really exciting and a very (laughs) tough decision. You're like literally bidding on a turn package.
4: Right. Yes! So you can go first, but you can get less resources, or if you can stand to go last you'll have a little bit more to work with i'll
2: quite you could have quite a bit more to work with but the thing is later in the game as your strategy unfolds as you make choices in how you're going to spend all this money sometimes those earlier slots are better for you
4: absolutely
2: it's like ooh, i can stand to go first now because i don't need any actions yeah you you could have
0: already picked up a bunch of helpers that give you extra
4: actions Or there's something that's so good among the cards available there that you want to make sure you go first and get the perfect one for your strategy.
0: Yeah, the options are all laid out, and once you take one, it's gone.
2: For me, that was important because I ended up using a default action strategy, which means I had to choose a specific default action every turn, but only one person could choose that. That was to spend, just flatly spend extra money.
0: That's usually a weak action choice, but you had an enhancement for it, so it made it like more than twice as good as it should be. Oh yeah, instead of two bucks per turn, you're
4: losing five bucks a turn from that action. Just going to the opera. What yeah. opera were you seeing that caught five bucks? i just love this
2: opera i bought the season box weekly payments of five (laughs) dollars
0: man it was really tough to wrap my head around trying to be inefficient and wasteful in a resource management game i think that makes it a resource mismanagement game
4: (laughs) (laughs) a new genre yay and i think what really helped the theme with the art
2: It is kind of standard Euro art, but it's colorful and bright and works perfectly for this type of game. I was actually surprised to see that it was a Russian designer, because this game is all about British aristocracy misbehaving. Or maybe that's very
0: entertaining in Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Laughing (laughs) at (laughs) British (laughs) people (laughs) wasting (laughs) their (laughs) money. Really popular in Czechoslovakia. Buying a house in this game is an awesome money pit because you have two options. You can either pay money to upkeep the house, which throws money into the money pit, or you can just let it depreciate by not upkeeping it. And then when you sell it, it has a lot less value.
4: Or you can just do what I did and throw a wild party and let it trash
0: itself. Ed trashed his house down to zero value and then sold it. He
2: managed to sell a house back for zero. (laughs) He
0: gave it away. I was like,
2: what? How did you (laughs) manage to depreciate it that hard?
0: Well, part of that is there's an action that lets you set the values for the different types of houses in the game. And it's like a minus three or a plus one or plus two. And when you choose that action, you switch them around to to value the different types of houses. So you want to buy the house high and then sell it
4: low. Yeah. Traditional strategy, right? Of course. <laughs> but I was just talking about the fact
2: that he managed to get the house all the way down to zero. I mean, the rest of us were pleased oh, if we yeah. could get it down to like five bucks. This oh, yeah. Ed got it down to zero yeah. science.
0: I mean, seriously, <laughs> I got my house from 15 to 12 and I was happy. <laughs> and well, he threw that wild party, trashed the whole place. Wow. That was that place was just garbage. it. <laughs> he started with a nice villa and he ended up with just two walls.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just one wall with a sink and like Yes a sir, the foundation the is solid. You exposed, see the plumbing, the exposed pipes. Yeah. He's
2: like there in his top hat pointing Yes sir, the foundation tap tap is solid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take.
1: you
0: know what? Today I'm feeling generous. Take it off my hands for now. Nothing.
2: (laughs) I kind of loved watching Joe struggle. Ed's there trashing houses and Joe is trying to like build the finest equestrian set of farms. Oh yeah. yeah. He had <laughs> all the beautiful horses. Slowly adding horses as he goes.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean everybody knows that owning horses is a great way to waste your money. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> and is. Joe was. went all in on it. <laughs> yeah. He was, yeah, He was wasting like 18 pounds a turn without bending an action at the end. He had too many houses and the problem with having a house is that it's an asset still so it, it's a great way to waste money while you have it but it still equals money
1: it's still on the books yep where's this place he's showing me is this, is this a house i mean what is this is this stonehenge he's like no this is the new house i just bought the foundation and the plumbing that's all that was left
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this game reminds me of brewster's millions in 1985 comedy
1: directed by walter hill starring richard Pryor and john candy The novel Brewster's Millions was written in 1902 by George Barr McCutcheon. He used the pseudonym Richard Greaves, and it was uh, made into a play uh, on Broadway at the New Amsterdam Theater in 1906. And it has been adapted in the films 13 times, four of which were produced in India. It's 110 years old, this
3: thing. Oh, my gosh. So
0: this story is as old as time. Rich uncle gives away part of his fortune... I can completely see how this story would be remade and
2: remade. I mean, who doesn't want to watch a bunch of yahoos try to spend the heck out of money?
1: And and who doesn't enjoy watching rich people do st- stupid things? Right. And here's the
3: point, because you want to posi- put yourself into that position and say, I can do a better job than whoever is doing this. And you want to take a crack at it yourself. That's why.
2: I absolutely wish I could go back to 1906 and watch that play, though.
1: <laughs> and then come back.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to get stuck there.
1: Yeah, and then I'll come back to my indoor plumbing.
2: I survived the fire but died of polio the next year. <laughs> but I saw this play. It was awesome. <laughs> in true Euro game style, it was heavy on symbology and light on language. It
0: had to be really uh, well explained in the rulebook because this game is language independent. There's no words on the cards that are necessary to gameplay.
2: Uh, I managed to keep up with it in this game. Sometimes Euro games get away from me in their symbology, but this one was was okay. It was manageable.
0: I don't know. There was a couple symbols that threw me for a loop. <laughs> it was like uh, house times two, hand with a thing in it, X letter A. <laughs> well,
4: the, the good thing is the back of the rule book has a list of all of those symbols and what they mean. Yeah, that key was really helpful. It was a reference sheet. Cause that's the most common question you're going to have is like, what this symbol is. Yeah, the most common question is, huh?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: okay, grab your shovels. It's time to
1: dig up or bury Last Will. Joe? I had fun with this. It made me feel like I was actually in one of those comedies. I'm digging it up. Evan?
3: I can't wait to play it because I know I can spend more unwisely than the rest of you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet. Mike? This game made me feel like I was in the upside down. And the frustration of that kept me fully engaged. So dig it up.
4: Ed? I really enjoyed seeking ways to spend money as inefficiently as possible. Dig it up.
2: I really like this resource management in reverse.
4: Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? I've seen Lashwell at local and online game stores for about 50 bucks or less. If you have thoughts about Last
2: Will, let us know. We are at Which Came First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Our last game up this week is Decipher. No designer credits. Produced by Pressman Toy Corporation in 1972. Number of players, two. Ages eight and up. Playtime, 20 minutes. When we unearthed this find, what were our first
0: thoughts? Mike? Is this what it feels like to be the guy that comes up with the puzzles on Wheel of Fortune? (laughs) (laughs) Evan?
3: They look like Scrabble tiles, but brother,
1: they ain't Scrabble tiles.
4: (laughs) Ed? Who stunk my crossword? (laughs) Joe?
1: Hmm, it looks like this word game provides a more level playing field than most. (laughs) A, B, C, D,
2: F. (laughs) I know where the E went, but before we get all A to Z... Evan, tell us how it's played.
3: In the game Decipher, two players square off in an attempt to figure out the five-letter word their opponent has chosen. Each player has 25 tiles. Letters A through Z, X and Y share one tile. From their own sets of tiles, the players craft a five-letter word for their opponent to try and guess. The remaining 20 tiles are kept in numerical order. Your opponent is going to call out a number 1 through 20, trying to discern what letters were not used in the creation of your word. Play goes back and forth, each player guessing one number at a time. With each turn, a player gets one attempt to decipher the word. First player to guess correctly wins, and then receives a call from the CIA Recruitment Center.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I loved how it was set up like Battleship. I'm behind one screen, you're behind another, and we've got our alphabet hidden there. And the five letters are missing and they're at the top composing your word. And I'm I'm like, oh, I got to pick a good word. I got to pick a word he can't guess. I got to, I got to. And I was playing against Evan. I thought that I had a great word, but Evan's was like twice as good as mine.
0: Making a word with less vowels is a real thumb in somebody's eye. I think next time I'm going to try the word crypt. (laughs) It's
3: a good (laughs) one. (laughs) That's right.
2: Evan, what was your word?
3: My word was azure, A-Z-U-R-E.
2: Yeah, azure.
3: So I actually gave you a little bit of an advantage in that I used both the A and the Z. So I sort of cut off the ends and you could have figured out that A and Z were immediately used in my word and then just have to deal with the 23 in between
2: yeah yeah which i didn't do i don't have a word to guess what oh what uh <laughs> weary weary <laughs> W-E-A-R-Y. yeah
0: no i'm sorry oh my god you guys are both really bad at this
3: game <laughs> it's a challenging game <laughs> yeah
0: i wouldn't have said 20 as a guess because that doesn't really give you that much information unless you pick z Right. That's right. Right, Because I did pick Z. That's why it was in my case.
2: But if you're going to just play the odds, nobody's going to choose 20. So it was a smart move.
1: Yeah, well. Well, the leveling effects of this game are mostly due to the fact that secret words each have five unique letters, which eliminates a lot of five-letter words. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, like the word treat won't be in there.
4: Ah, so you only have one version of each letter? Yes. That's
1: it.
0: Yeah, and actually you can't even use any words that have both X and Y in them because X and Y is a single tile. Uh, Um, The reason why they made it a 25 letters instead of 26 is because it's a grid of five by five. Yes. So no
2: 60 for you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So all this adds up to, you know, your garden variety word maven you know, isn't dancing around you the whole time like Muhammad Ali? <laughs> That's right.
0: It puts Joe in his place, right? Which is nice because I played against Joe and actually Pop Makala won the game. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I gotta remember that. So really... is it set up like a Battleship where you uh, you have tiles on both sides.
2: Yes, you have a side where you keep track of your own alphabet with its missing letters, so that you can keep track of which clues to give your opponent when he asks and the side where you keep track of the questions you have asked to your opponent. So one side where you're trying to give the clues, and one side where you're keeping track of your own guesses.
3: The game can be a little bit tricky because you're using your positions on your board numbers 1 through 5 to craft your five-letter word, and that occupies those five tiles. So you're really guessing between numbers 6 through 25. Those are the numbers you're calling out for your opponent to give to you. And then you have to make sure that you translate it correctly once your opponent hands you the letter and make sure that you're placing it in the correct order, which is why it's handy to have paper and pencil while you play this so you can keep track of these kinds of placements of numbers and letters as it goes along.
0: Yeah, I took my notebook and wrote, wrote the letters, you know, A through Z on there and numbered them next to them. And then I shifted everything down when I found a letter that was missing. Right. So my notebook started to look like a replacement or like a Caesar cipher. <laughs> <laughs> a cipher within a cipher.
2: So, for example,
4: if you didn't use the letter A in your word, it would be placed at the number six. So how often, how often did he get to uh, make a guess? Or were there any penalties for guessing wrong?
0: Every turn, you get to make one guess. Um, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. There's no penalties.
4: Yeah,
2: oh, there's a penalty, all right? You've basically lost a turn guessing the <laughs> wrong letter.
3: <laughs> well, right. it's not a penalty per se. No, but. no. You're, the,
2: whole, the idea is you get information with every single guess. It's just, what is the quality of your information? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: That's the frustrating part. You think you're on to something. Okay, I've got this. I'm pretty close. You call a number. And then they hand you the letter and you were like, ah, oh my gosh, I totally didn't account for this. I got to start over almost.
2: I was nowhere near Azure because he had, because Evan had so many letters in that word that are near the end of the alphabet Mm -hmm. that if you're starting with a strategy of just going from sort of beginning to end, okay, I know he's got one letter being used from, from six to 10 and one letter from 10 to 14. And then I got a little bogged down in the center and kept ending up with sort of low-quality guesses.
0: <laughs> you can actually kind of step your guesses back. So I'll say, oh, there's two letters missing between this number and that number. Then you step your next guess back by three. And if it comes up with a different number of missing letters, you know that yours is in between that shorter section that you cut off.
3: Celeste, I don't remember what your word was. Do you recall what your it word
2: It was? was windy.
0: Windy, oh, yeah. okay.
2: A.K.A. windy. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you use the X, Y tile in there.
2: Like anybody would, I tried to use minimal vowels, uh, late letters, but it, it just wasn't enough to beat Azure. <laughs>
3: I chose the perfect word.
4: <laughs> okay, Explorers, it's time to dig up or bury, decipher. Ed?
1: I didn't get to play the game, so I'll keep my judgment secret. Joe? We're not all great at the games we like. Uh, This word game gives an intriguing contest and still gives most of us a good shot at a win. Dig it up.
2: Evan?
3: Cool game. Quick and clever. Very replayable. What's not to like? Dig it up.
0: Mike? I like finding devious ways to deceive and frustrate my friends, and this game gives me just that. So dig it up. As Mikey would say, word.
2: I-L-I-K-E-D this game. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find it?
3: Well, there are newer pressings of the game available, and old 1972 versions can be had online as well. Just do a quick search using your favorite browser. Prices for the new ones are about 20 bucks per copy, but I've also seen used copies available for as little as 2 bucks.
2: If you have thoughts about Decipher, keep them to yourself. We are at Witch Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes and post shows, yeah, baby! Stand by. For just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on on our Discord server, we're at which game first, and patrons get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming explorers! Hey, what's a five letter word for goodbye? Aloha. Adios. See ya.